Bienvenidos, everyone, to Untangling with Aureliano Nava. This is my very first recording that I share with you. Yeah, I do hope you enjoy it because I do plan to record some more and share them with you. I'd like to dedicate this first podcast to the question of whether we can be in the thick and thin of depression and as humans, whether we have the sufficient resources that would allow us to relate to depression as if it were part of the human condition, something natural that we could relate to and that we could um, work our way through without necessarily feeling or bind into the belief that it amounts to some form of cancer that should be eradicated from our experience. I do think it's possible to do this. I do think it's possible to relate to depression in such a way so that uh, we don't necessarily have to see it as a foreign entity to our experience. I nonetheless think that it does take work. It does take informing ourselves. It does, it does take effort on our part. But uh, it's available to us. It's very much doable. Obviously, part of, of that work is seeking professional help. And if you do have access to that, by all means, you, you should. Uh, I'm not an expert on the topic. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm merely here sharing some thoughts that have arisen as a result of this um, a large amount of media coverage connected with Anthony Bourdain. So when I ask um, the question whether um, depression is a kind to, you know, left-handed people believing that uh, right-handed people simply cannot understand what it's like to live in a world where uh, the vast majority of the objects are made for uh, right-handed people. Um, it just so happens that people, when they are depressed, often believe that it's impossible to share this with others, that it's impossible for others to uh, understand what one is going through. And uh, perhaps that is the case. Uh, to a certain extent, we don't have access to the details of someone's life and what led them to be in the state that uh, we come to know as depression. For instance, if we ask ourselves, well, what was, what was going on with Anthony Bourdain before he committed suicide? I think that even the people that were closest to him a couple days before he committed suicide, I think he was in Paris. I don't even think that those that were around him were privy to that information, um, simply don't have access to that. So I, I don't think that those particulars, those details uh, matter as much as something else that we do have in, in common just simply because we're human and we're wired similarly. So I, I'd like to talk about what 
what th- that is, what I, I believe that com- common ground um, happens to, to be. But before I start talking about what this common ground happens to be, I'd like to share with you a series of questions that I just started writing down as I was reflecting on depression. If we just think for for a little bit the importance of of questions and that um, really research, right, and scientific inquiry is driven by asking simple questions. Or a question could also just be in the form of uh, an explanation that uh, needs to to be proven um, right or wrong, and then some uh, experiment is conducted, right, that involves the observation of some phenomena or some conditions that uh, are created in order to be able to uh, explore the the question uh, called a hypothesis. So, you know, questions are are very important, and I think we could use this questioning uh, process here when it comes to uh, addressing and exploring depression. I'm pretty sure, you know, (laughs) that this has been done. It's nothing new, nothing unique, Um, but just want to share with you. So, um, you know, what is depression? Uh, Is it... um, what what leads us to this condition we call depression? Um, is it something that just boom, you know, out of nowhere, it just comes crashing down on us and it's right there, full blown? Or is it something that starts small and incrementally grows and grows, and at some point we simply have no other choice but to call it depression, if it starts from a small point, say, uh, in our mind or our body, in both our mind and our body, or from some source out there uh, environmentally, right, in our life situation, or any combination of these, um, can we, if we were to intervene with the right tools, bring it to a halt before it develops further. Um, if we don't stop it in the beginning, can we stop it in the middle? Can be we stop it a quarter of ways or three quarters of way before it fully matures? Uh, if we do, then can we reverse it? Right? Can we reverse its course? Can we stop it uh, in the end? and reverse it once it's fully developed. Uh, If it develops to a full-blown condition and we find ourselves in its depths, right right in its grasp, right in in its mouth, do we have the resources just simply in virtue of being human to either dig ourselves out of its grasp or can we live with it? Can we befriend it and have it be a companion to us as we continue our journey through life? And perhaps that uh, the very act of fighting it, the very act of uh, resisting it, 
the very act of uh, viewing it as a kind of cancer that needs to be removed from us as soon as possible, does that make the condition even worse? Does it uh, increase its power? Does it throw fuel as if we're, it were some kind of fire? Uh, so I think you, you can see where I'm going with this. There's absolutely no way that we, I can explore, we can explore these all these questions in one podcast, but I think that we can certainly explore one, and that is exactly what I'm uh, I'm about to do. I'll be exploring the first question. I believe it was the first question that I shared with you. I'm gonna propose that. Depression does have an origin. It does have a starting point. Uh, it is something that doesn't just, out of nowhere, just come crashing down upon us. That uh, it is something that incrementally grows and that we uh, contribute to very much. And that because of that, we can therefore, well, begin to see how it starts. Anything that has a starting point, and if we have access to that uh, phenomena, right, that could be uh, observed. So we have this laboratory, and the laboratory happens to be this uh, body and this mind that we have. And this laboratory, the laboratory of our body and mind can be put to the test just like right, experiments can be put to a test in order to uh, confirm or not some explanation. So, um, what's common to us is this wiring that all of us uh, share, right? It's just simply we're wired in the same way, where our nervous system is wired the same way, and there's this process that continually takes place, and that's called the... Um, Stimulus response process, right? Something you should be familiar with, um, right? Psychologists and uh, there's uh, scientists have uh, done plenty of uh, research on this already for decades, and but I'm going to be uh, approaching it from a different point of view, just simply because it's uh, an explanation that um, makes a lot of sense to me, not just uh, conceptually, but in terms of my own experience. And so I'll be borrowing much in uh, what I'm about to share from Buddhism. I'm not doing it in, in any way to um, um, sell you anything <laughs> or to <laughs> convert you to <laughs> into becoming a, a Buddhist uh, by any means. Uh, please don't uh, view it like this. There are other models out there available for you to, to consider and uh, that explains explain the same phenomena. I'm just simply borrowing from this uh, particular model. So um, in, in Buddhism, there is this, um, uh, I'll call it for a lack of better uh, term, there's this model and uh, it has to do with some specific teachings that are called the 12 Nidanas and it's uh, uh, 
uh, how Buddhists explain uh, the process of pretty much of how something comes to be, how something uh, is set in motion, and how the uh, causes and conditions are created for its um, you know manifestation, its creation. I'm not talking about anything exotic right here. Okay? I'm not talking about any, anything that's um, not uh, going to be difficult to, um, well, could be difficult, but it's not something that is totally abstract, okay? It's, it's very much connected with our own experience. And so we have sense organs and right, our ability to see, and we have our uh, smell, right? taste organs and so forth and these are continually um, being bombarded by information and that comes to us from our world and this information you probably know it's it's not at all in any filtered or organized manner is just right random you know scattered information and as it strikes our sense organs, um, well, some um, some feeling is is created, generated, right? Some sensation, and um, it's you know it's it could be pleasurable, it could be not pleasurable, it could be painful, it could be uh, neither here nor there, it could be okay, uh, and and then from that feeling, some um, some craving arises almost and this happens very very quickly and uh, from uh, that uh, craving well we crave for having right one kind or another of that particular feeling or sensation right that's connected with um, what uh, our sense organs are being bombarded by so um, if some pleasurable experience, right, uh, feeling is generated uh, via our ability to, to touch, and the touch is uh, pleasurable, right, it's uh, exciting, whatever, right, it's, you can see that how we long for that, how we crave for those kind of experiences, especially if it has something to do with um, our sex organs. So, um, the, the problem here, right, as you can anticipate, is that um, uh, that craving uh, can, well, can and that grasping that um, follows can be habituated towards the kind of experiences that, um, well, that not end up being very healthy for us if we continue to go back over and over and over in order to re-experience a particular sensation, right? And so much of our uh, focus and our uh, energy and our life is spent uh, chasing after that, well, you can see how uh, that uh, gets us into trouble very quickly. And I don't have to tell you that uh, most likely, this is really uh, the source of uh, so many of the addictions that uh, occur 
to us, uh, alcohol and sex and drug addictions and all kinds of addictions. So these days, we can also use the example of how Facebook and our mobile phones have become such uh, sources of these kind of triggers for us. And very quickly, I'll just tell you a story that I, I do think uh, uh, indirectly has a lot to do th with this. Not a couple of weeks ago, it was my birthday, and I uh, woke up and just happened to have, uh, you know, checked into Facebook like we all do on a daily basis, and uh, morning, no, no birthday greetings from anybody. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, uh, I'm sure by the afternoon I said to myself, I'll have uh, a few uh, greetings, just uh, as I usually do every year from friends and both friends that I directly know and I don't know through Facebook. So afternoon, check in again and no greetings. So I'm like, okay, what's what's going on now? It probably just lasted maybe very, very briefly right, in the scope of uh, my, my mind. Uh, early afternoon though and uh, early evening, uh, nothing. And I am bummed by then. I'm asking myself, what did you do to your the handful of friends that you have out there where you uh, asshole this last year and nobody really is bothering to send a happy birthday greeting to you. So I went to sleep that night and I was actually like, you know, I was affected by this. I was like, shit, man, what's, what's up? What's going on? Following morning, uh, check in and nada, nothing. Okay. <laughs> so... It bothered me for maybe way into you know, half that day, perhaps, you know, not not longer than that, you know, I, I'm, I must tell you. Well, a couple of days later, I, I went to the uh, local Shambhala Center here in Los Angeles, in West Los Angeles, West Los Angeles and I ran into uh, this friend that uh, I haven't spoken to in quite a while. His name is Claude, and uh, we greeted each other quickly because there was this talk that we were about to uh, to listen to, and uh, Claude said to me, "Hey, uh, Aureliano, I tried sending you a, a birthday greeting, but your timeline didn't allow me to post anything. I think you must have done something to your settings." And I'm like, "Oh my goodness, that's exactly what happened a couple weeks ago. I do, I did remember that I had messed around with my s privacy settings." And I must have disabled the setting that allows people to post to my timeline. And that's what happened. So I shared this with, with Claude, and we had a, a laugh, especially because I, I told him that I was seriously bummed uh, as a result of uh, seeing that nobody had post a happy birthday uh, greeting uh, on my timeline. And he cracked up, and he said, you know what, as well you should, as well you should, meaning that uh, it was quite understandable that I was bummed out by that. So that's <laughs> that's my little story uh, about uh, what the this art day and age we do to technology and the kind of conditioning that uh, technology represents to us. After all, we must know, we should know that uh, Facebook was designed with very much with that in mind. It's a platform that the software engineers created, very much knowing what um, uh, triggers us. 
And needless to say, it's been very successful, hasn't it? I'm going to switch gears on you now and share another story that I believe indirectly is connected with Anthony Bourdain and um, what may have uh, contributed to his finding himself in that state of mind um, where he uh, felt no option but to take the step that he did. I'm referring to how it is that as human beings we overinvest in that feeling that we all experience, that over-identification of that sense of who and what we are with particular experiences, things that occur to us, stuff that we um, seek and want and desire and crave and strive for and wish to uh, obtain and um, become and and that uh, when it's just not working out that way for us and uh, things go um, in a different direction that that sense of who and what we are well um, suffers as a result it becomes confused it um, um, can't quite uh, locate itself can't quite find itself can't quite uh, identify itself with what it's accustomed to uh, so I happen to work at a continuation high school at the moment most of my teaching career I worked I have worked at larger much larger high schools this high school right now only has about 60 students for almost 20 years I worked somewhere else also in Los Angeles in this area of Los Angeles you might be familiar with it's known as Watts and uh, Watts is famous for a couple of riots that took place there over the last three four decades or so anyhow the local high school there in Watts is called Jordan High School and when I started working there um, it was almost uh, the school population was almost evenly divided among African-Americans and um, Mexican-Americans, uh, some Central Americans also, and really just a handful of um, um, other uh, ethnicities. And when you work at a large high school like that, it's uh, kind of difficult to, uh, you know, get, um, uh, talk about life situations with students. It's just the pace is kind of, uh, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. A lot of teachers are very good at connecting like that with their students. But, uh, you know, large environments with lots of people are very speedy and chaotic. And so it's one of the reasons I like working where I'm at right now. It, uh, people know you quickly and everybody knows each other. And so anyways, uh, couple weeks ago, I walked into the small quad area of our school. The quad area is where students hang out during lunch, and it's right next to the small parking lot, which doubles as a volleyball court. And to one side of one building, you uh, we have a small basketball court. On the other side of that one building, a small garden, and that's it, three small buildings. Stepped out of my classroom. It was during my conference period, and in the quad area, 
I noticed a student, and immediately I recognized him. His name is Michael. And as I start approaching Michael, I just kind of noticed that something was off. Okay, um, Michael is normally very cheerful and energetic and bubbly and on-your-face kind of student uh, and uh, funny, and, and he just was not being like that that day. So I approach him, and um, I'm kind of interested in knowing what's going on, and so I must have said something like, well, what's going on, Michael? Hi, what's, what's up? He looked at me, didn't say anything. I waited, and uh, then he said, uh, can I ask you a question, Mr. Nava? I said, sure. Um, what's, what's going on, Michael? And he said, do you ever feel like you're losing your mind? Now, I'm not sure what I was expecting, but I could share with you that I, I was not expecting this, so it did take me back. It, uh, well, it, it floored me. And uh, there was also this little voice inside that sa said something to the effect of uh, whatever you're going to say, just uh, make sure you handle it well, that kind of thing. And uh, after a short period, I, I said to Michael, you know, Michael, if, if you're um, thinking or you're feeling that you're losing your mind, well, your mind is already there because it's your mind, after all, that's feeling that way and it's thinking that it's losing itself. Now, look, I, I really wasn't um, planning on or intended to impress him by <laughs> saying something profound or I just had this, hey, this, this student is having whatever's going on in his life. He's having a hard time right now and I kind of felt that and I just wanted to say something that, that spoke to that. Took Michael for a while to um, sense, or I mean, just uh, whatever I said to him, right? What I said to him had impact him. So I noticed that his facial expression changed, and and I knew that he had gotten something out of what I said, and I was curious. So I said to Michael, "So Michael, what what do you think it means?" And uh, almost without hesitation, Michael said, it means that just when I think or feel that I'm losing my mind, my mind is, is already there, uh, thinking and feeling that it's, I'm losing it. Well, I, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I wanted to know more. I, I really wanted to um, find out more about what Michael had to say about that. And then I, uh, so I asked him, I said, and where, where do you think your, your mind was before that? And Michael said, well, it, it must have been there, but I, I just didn't know it until I did. I thought it was pretty good. And I just wanted to, to um, continue. 
And then, uh, and then, but Michael uh, followed it up with a question. He said, "So, Mr. Nava, um, why is it then so so hard to um, to know that our mind is there all the time, even when we feel lost and confused?" Well, I don't have to tell you that, uh, that that's a pretty pretty good question to ask. It's a very um, insightful question to come up with. And, um, you know, Michael, I, I think that we, we just don't know that it doesn't go anywhere because we just simply forget. We have to remember that it doesn't go anywhere, our mind. And um, we kind of had like a little laugh about it and I didn't see Michael for uh, a few days and one day he comes into the uh, into my classroom and sits and he probably got sent out of his classroom for misbehaving and sent into my classroom to do some work and after a while he greeted me and I greeted him and and then he said um Mr. Nava do do you remember what we talked about I said yeah sure I I remember what we talked about and then Michael says what was that again how did that go and I said oh I see <laughs> I see what's going on you you forgot already didn't you and he said, yeah, I kind of did, Mr. Nava. <clears throat> and I said, okay, well, why don't we go over it again? Do you remember? And I said to Michael, do you remember what you asked me? And Michael looked at me kind of uh, puzzled, and I could tell that he didn't remember what he asked me. I said, yeah, do, do you remember what you asked me about uh, about your mind? And... Uh, he said, yeah, <laughs> I remember now. And I said, what, what did you ask me? He said, I asked you if, um, if you uh, ever felt like you were losing your mind. And I said, yes, you, you said that. And I shared with you that the very moment that you feel or you're thinking that you're losing your mind, well, your mind is there with you doing the feeling and the thinking that it's losing itself. And Michael's response was pretty immediate. It was more like, uh, oh, yeah, now I remember. I get it now, Mr. Nava. And we both cracked up and we laughed. And uh, and then Michael said, you know, Mr. Nava, you should start one of those YouTube stations um, where people talk about stuff like this. Now, I thought that was kind of encouraging because I've been thinking about um, putting this um, first uh, recording together. And it's been something I was uh, kicking around and... Uh, so to hear him say that was, uh, uh, you know, encouraged me to head in this direction. So I laughed and I said something like, you know what, Michael, I should think about doing that. I'll think about it. And Michael said, you know, Mr. Nava, I would, I would listen to it. Now, it's interesting that Michael said um, a YouTube station because uh, kids at that age, it's been um, um, just in talking to them. They are really not listening to podcasts yet. Uh, their go-to um, is still YouTube for things that they are interested in and they're interested in uh, finding out and learning more about. 
So, um, anyways, that is uh, Michael's story that I wanted to relate to you. <coughs> What's the connection right here? Well, as I mentioned, I think the connection here is um, how it is that we over-identify with that sense and that that uh, quality of that feeling of um, things um, occurring to us. We think as we experience, they, there's this uh, uh, agent this uh, that all the stuff that is experienced occurs to, and the that we invest um, the sense of um, our very identity, that sense of uh, a solid self and a solid thing um, with those experiences. <coughs> oh, sorry. And that um, sometimes, right, the outcome of that is that, therefore, when experiences are not uh, what we uh, feel and believe they should be, then our uh, world, well, falls apart and gets to a point where it's very difficult to um, locate ourselves and to um, find uh, the common territory that was so dependable for us and I believe that uh, uh, Michael, uh, on that particular day, was having one of those um, experiences where uh, that whole familiarity with who and what he was, um, given whatever was occurring in his life at that point, which later on he shared with me, um, contributed to, well, um, that sense of who he was, um, just not quite being there as it used to be. Before I wrap this up, I'd like to share with you what was recently shared with me by Robert. Robert is a recent friend that I've come to know. He attends this uh, meetup that I facilitate. Most of you are probably familiar with meetup. If you're not, Meetup is a website where you could join different groups that organize um, events for people to get together in real life and and do. Uh, get together and perhaps go hiking or you get together and go see a movie or have dinner together or you're all reading a book and you get together and discuss the book or it just happens that um, the Meetup I facilitate concerns um, getting together and doing some um, uh, meditation practice together and we briefly read and discuss from um, um, books we take turn take turns reading so lately uh, Robert and I ha um, have been the only ones that have been getting together and we kind of laugh at it because each time we come together and uh, we, after we finish, we kind of joke about it and say how wonderful it was that uh, once again it was just him and I that got together and uh, it's heartfelt at the same time because 
we really do mean it. So a few weeks ago, when the news of Anthony Bourdain was very much on everyone's minds and it was being discussed um, on media a lot and social media, Robert opened up to me and shared with me that his sister a few years ago committed suicide. He shared with me that just a few days before she committed suicide, she told him that at that point in her life, all she wanted to do was somehow, some way, just escape her mind. One can only imagine the kind of pain and torture one must uh, be experiencing in order to um, consider that some aspect of, of yourself, your experience, that you very much um, identify with needs to be removed as if it were some form of cancer. And this is where I believe that um, some common ground can be made with with the student Michael and with Anthony Bourdain and now with uh, Robert's sister having to do with how it is that um, we we do come to identify who and what we are as a um, solid self, right, an agent of experiences and how sometimes um, these experiences turn on us and they become aspects of ourselves that must be gotten rid of, but we simply can't do that, can we? Well, that pretty much brings this this first podcast to an end. Thank you for being patient enough to um, listen to it till the end, and future podcasts, I would very much like to dedicate more time to the uh, main and latter points that I attempted to make, having to do with how it is that when things become very difficult for us, it's not quite uh, possible to both attempt to identify ourselves with who we are, with our own experience, and at the same time, right, uh, surgically try to remove those parts of ourselves that become very difficult and dark and um, bring us to that point in our lives where when we actually experience um, depression, that um, there's another alternative here that is available to to us and that uh, we don't even need to resort to uh, therapist and professional help. You should, if you must, if it's available to you. But I really want to um, point out that this is something that um, has been 
um, working for many, many centuries and that people with no special skills have uh, practiced and have considered, have examined, have studied, and that it's still available very much to us in modern times, no matter the uh, advances in technology and the uh, dissemination of uh, so much information that's available to us, these um, practices still work very well and are still current for um, our mind and our bodies because that not yet hasn't changed. So, um, thank you. Look forward to doing this again with you. <laughs>